Welcome to Connection Point Church, and welcome to all those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach, Shelley and I serve as lead pastors here. So glad you're here today on uh, this, this week as we're getting closer and closer to Christmas. What's the count? Nine days? Nine days. Hope you've done your shopping. Otherwise, uh, the next week and a half is going to be really stressful. Sorry about that. So the last couple of months, been uh, coaching our boys' youth basketball teams. I, I enjoy coaching our kids' sports when I can. Um, spend time with them, obviously, but to have time with other people in our community as well. And, and I've been coaching for a lot of years. So before Shelly and I have served as pastors and overseas, I was a high school math teacher, and I coached high school football, track, and cross country. Uh, so did a lot of coaching. And I've coached many of their soccer teams, our kids. Uh, but I will have to say that this year, Coaching my six-year-old's basketball team was one of the greatest challenges I have ever faced as a coach. (laughs) There's something about that sport and six-year-olds, they just don't go together. Um, And mostly because six-year-olds aren't the most selfless of individuals, you know? I don't know if you've caught on to that. Any parent in the room that's got a six-year-old, you probably know a little bit of what I'm talking about, you know? they, They struggle to give. But, you know, in team sports, giving is required. Uh, So coaching looked a lot like the first practice of one kid inbounding the ball. Well, first we had to figure out, like, the game, you know. So, okay, so we're, like, three weeks in. Three weeks in, somebody's inbounding the ball, and you got four kids lined up. Give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. (laughs) This is not working, guys. You got one person to get that ball. So the biggest thing I had to teach them was selflessness. Well, let's face it. Selfishness isn't uh, just for our six-year-olds. We kind of struggle with selfishness a bit and, uh, you know, go to the parking lot. Are you fighting for that parking space, you know, wedging out little old ladies so you can get the closer space to walk, you know, walk in? Hopefully not. Uh, we start, you know, we want to cut in line. We want to be the first person in line at the grocery store. So selfishness is something that we all have to deal with. And there's lots of ways that God works that out in our lives. Uh, he lets us get married. And we get to realize by living with another person, oh, I kind of like things one particular way. But that doesn't always work, right? You don't have to raise your hands. We don't want to start any battles this morning. And then if that doesn't work, he gives you kids. And you get to work on that selfishness again and again and again. Depending on how many kids you have, you get to keep working on that. (laughs) Which is not to say if you have 10 kids, you only have selfishness to work out in your life. I'm not inferring that. Uh, but there's lots of ways that God works that out. But even with the basketball team. So how did I work on, on selfishness there? You, you create rules like you've got to pass the ball, you know, three times before you can shoot the ball. That giving is the cure for selfishness. Giving is the cure for selfishness. And that, I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus talks so much about money. Because he knows the cure for our selfish hearts is to give selflessly. That's the way he deals with it. You see, giving selflessly is the opposite of greed and selfishness. We live in a world that's driven by greed. We're daily inundated with messages that tries to convince us we need more and more stuff. That basically what we have is not enough. We're told through social media outlets, commercials, and other venues that life is all about what we can acquire, mostly for ourselves. But Jesus says life is all about loving God and loving others. And he says that because of my, (laughs) the gift of God the Father, of the Son to us, we have that example in him, so we need to give too. 
He says that loving God and loving others is, is what's important. And, and as we fulfill that, then his glory is on display in us. And then we get to share his glory with others. And ultimately, here's what I found. We won't be satisfied in life until we're living by God's design. You're always going to have a measure of dissatisfaction until you're really living out what God's will is for your life. And one of the things that we see in scripture over and over is that people who follow Jesus are people who give generously. They give selflessly. And so with that in mind, what I want to do this morning is it takes some time today to talk about giving selflessly. I'd like to define it. And if you're new to Connection Point or maybe you visited last week and you're back with us today, uh, we actually only talk about this once a year on a Sunday. We usually do this in smaller groups because we like to answer questions. But we do feel like it's worthwhile in this season of giving where people are naturally thinking about giving and the joy of giving. It's a good time of year to talk about what does the Bible have to say about giving. And why do we sometimes not talk about it? Because I never want to give the impression that the church is after your money because they're not. And, And let me say too, neither is God. God's after a lot more. He's after your heart. And he just happens to know that oftentimes where you direct your gifts is where your heart will go. So God's after your heart. He wants all of you. And he knows that the way that we manage the resources he's given us determines oftentimes the path of our heart. And he wants you living after his design. And you know, one of the ways we dispel that for people that come to the church, right away we want to show that this church is a generous church. It always has been. They have a long history of that. So people come, and and Pastor Mark mentioned, we've got a gift bag with a book and a coffee mug and coffee. We send them out the door with a gift from day one. And then we follow up with a postcard with some Silver Dipper ice cream. Even in December, people like Silver Dipper ice cream. And so we do that. Why? Because we want to show right away. We serve a generous God, and so we want to show generosity too. That's the kind of God we serve. So I want to just take a minute at this time of year where where giving is natural. Let's talk about what does the Bible have to say about giving. And I want to look at both the Old and New Testaments to help us define that. And the first thing we find this morning as it relates to giving is that followers of Jesus, they give selflessly by giving faithfully. Followers of Jesus give selflessly by giving faithfully. In the Old Testament, God required that the Israelites would give 10% of their income to the temple If you're not new to the church, you'd be familiar with the the term tithe. So a tithe referred to 10%. You'll find this principle laid out in several books of the Old Testament. I'm just going to mention one in the Old Testament book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Here's what the Lord says about the tithe. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with the curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a part of what we find in the Old Testament. But really the question I want to answer this morning, because I've had this question a lot more here recently, is people have asked the question, okay, I see tithes laid out in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. But what is the implications for people who are New Covenant followers of Christ? Because Christ came, Jesus came to fulfill the law 
So then how are we to give if the law has been fulfilled in Jesus? That's the question I've received. And so I wanted to answer that question this morning. So I want to look at what the Old Testament has to say, what the New Testament has to say, and I want to get some good answers today. And part of what I was realizing, I always you know, have times of self-reflection, and I think about how have we tried to share the motivation for giving as a church since Shelly and I have been there, been here. And as I was reflecting upon that, I thought, you know, we've probably looked more at the Old Testament than the New, so this morning, I want to make sure we're looking all the way across the board. So my prayer this morning is that we answer the question, how do we, as followers of Jesus, under his new covenant, how are we to give? What is the example that we have? Both from the law and the prophets, from Jesus, and then from Paul, a New Testament follower of Jesus, who wrote more books of the Bible in the New Testament than any other writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to look at all three of those. And so where I'd like to start is in Matthew chapter 5. And here's what Jesus says. So Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount is what it's called. He's given a really important message. He shared this message all everywhere that he traveled. And here's what he says. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Malachi was a prophet, the scripture I had read from the Old Testament. So part of what Jesus is saying to the crowd in Matthew 5 is he did not come to abolish what God set in place before him. That's part of what he's sharing. God's word remains God's word, the revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. This is what we hold to as a church. This is why we have you stand as we read God's word, because we want to say, hey, here's God's word. And we want to make sure that we're abiding by what he has to say, knowing that our best life is found in fulfillment of his word. And Jesus, as I shared, he came as fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Everything pointed to him. Everything pointed to his coming. And now that the Messiah has come, it's for his followers to discern in light of Jesus' teaching and practice, what is now the right way to apply these texts to the current situation of Jesus came. And this is why we're working through the book of Luke, because I want to look at the teachings of Jesus and make sure we apply everything rightly to our lives. The authoritative teaching of Jesus that governs his followers' understanding and practical application of the law. His teaching matters. We really need to understand it. Because what Jesus does is, after he makes a statement, here's what he does. In Matthew chapter 5, he provides his definition of the law and the prophets as we're to follow it. And here's some of the things that he said. So I'm going to read the verses that follow that section I just read in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. So Jesus talking about the law of Moses, he says, this is what you know, that murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, here's what he says, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And Jesus does the same thing with lust, retaliation, and other matters. So he starts walking through. And what he always says is, you've heard it said in the law of Moses, but I say. And then he defines for us how do we live out our life as new covenant followers of Jesus. And every time Jesus interprets the law and the prophets more severely than was the previous interpretation. And there's a reason why. 
Jesus interprets the law and the prophets more seriously without loopholes because what he's doing is he's leading his followers on a journey where he wants his followers to understand. As you move forward, what you're going to need to ask in every situation is what does love require of me? That's what he's leading them to. What does love require of me? And so in every situation you face, if you're having a hardship with your brother, you got to ask, what does love require of me? Love requires I go and make my relationship right with him. What, what would require, you know, someone is, is against me and I want to retaliate, but what does love require of me? Love requires that you repay evil with good. So this is the path that Jesus is leading his followers in, and he's doing that even as it relates to giving. I love how Jesus summarizes. He takes the whole Old Testament and he says, here's how you take all these books and you summarize it. Love God and love others. Don't you like it when somebody can take something complicated and make it simple? Like you read through Leviticus and you're like, I need some help here. You're not the only one. People were asking those same questions then. And Jesus says, if you love God and you love others, you fulfill it all. So the only question you need to ask is, what does love require of me? So Matthew 5, it shows us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. So then what does Jesus have to say about the tithe? So again, we talked about the law and the prophets. We see that tithe was important under the old covenant, but let's see what Jesus has to say. So in Luke chapter 11, we actually covered this verse already, but let me come back to it if you've been here for our series in Luke. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, Jesus says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. What matters? Loving God, loving others. But then he still says, you should tithe, yes, but do not, do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus said, tithe, sure, be faithful in your giving. But they're gonna, we're going to find there's a new motivation for giving in the New Testament. But then what about the cross? Because some would argue that Jesus was still affirming Mosaic law in this statement, since a cross in the empty tomb had not yet happened. So the follow-up question is, how did the early church... How did, they, how did they give? How did they handle giving? Because they were now under the new covenant. Jesus came as fulfillment of law and the prophets. He lived, he died, was resurrected from the dead, and now they're living. And so one of the answers we get is we look at the writings of Paul. And he's writing a church in Corinth. He's writing the Corinthian believers. And here's what he says. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. The Living Translation it summarizes it and says, On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. So here's the instruction Paul's giving new, new believers. He's giving the Corinthian believers. And I will say Paul's very careful here because he knows the New Covenant believers are no longer living under the law. Jesus came to fulfill it. But he also knows that Jesus affirmed giving. In fact, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic outside of his conversations connected to the kingdom of God. Eleven out of his 39 parables, Jesus talks about resources. He talks about finances. And why is that? Because Jesus wants to conquer selfishness in all of our hearts. And the only way to get rid of selfishness is to give. It's the model of God who gave his son. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God gave his son. And then God... Jesus gave of himself to the cross. That's what we celebrate at Easter. So every year, annually, we celebrate two examples of God as the Trinity giving of himself. And so in response, we say, and we should give too. Our goal of, as followers of Jesus is simply to become like him. 
That's why the become part of our church mission is all about becoming, we say mentees and mentors, but the greatest mentor of all was Jesus. We want everyone in this room, everyone a part of Connection Point Church to become like Jesus. We work to emulate him. That's why we follow him in water baptism. That's why we pray. It's why we read the Bible because Jesus did all of those things. And so we want to do that too. So as we talk about giving this morning, here's what's really, really important for us to understand. It's not about giving. It's about Christ's likeness. The conversation this morning, it's really not about giving, it's about us becoming like Christ. But it just so happens the habit of Jesus was one of giving of himself. And so we want to follow him in that act too. And Paul knows it. He's familiar with the teachings of Jesus. He knows that Jesus modeled this. He taught it. And so now we're called to walk in that as well. And as we work our way through the New Testament as a church, what we're going to find is Paul is continually at odds with a group of people called the Judaizers. Maybe you're familiar with them. The Judaizers wanted the non-Jewish believers to follow the law. And so Paul said, well, that's not right because Jesus came to fulfill the law. So they had a meeting in Jerusalem. They laid out how we're to follow Jesus. And so yet Paul, even though he says we don't follow the law, he's still encouraging the Corinthian believers to give. So why? Why does he want them to give? For the same reason that Jesus affirms giving, because people are in need. So here's the motivation for us as new covenant believers We give, why? Not under obligation of the law, but because others are in need. Our motivation for giving is love. What does love require of me? Love says if you've got resources and others are in need, then we help supply that need, both physical and spiritual. Paul is taking a collection for the believers in Jerusalem. That's the motivation for this passage. He's taking a collection. He's already collected it from the believers in Galatia. And now he's saying to the believers in Corinth, and you should give too. Jesus mentions tithing in Luke 11. And what's the context? I already mentioned it this morning. He says, don't ignore justice and the love of God. Tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. And what are those more important things? Loving God and loving others. So why do we give? Our motivation for giving is because others are in need. That's what's important for us. So so Paul, giving faithfully, what does that look like as a follower of Jesus? Here's what Paul writes, going back to that verse. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you've earned. So let's just break down that verse. So on the first day of the week, I'll go ahead and tell you the answer. The first day of the week is Sunday, in case you didn't know. We work Sunday through Saturday. That's the way our weeks operate. So Paul's referring to Sunday because the early church, they, as if they were of Jewish background, may have met on the Sabbath on Saturday. But now what they said is, we're going to follow our Lord who was resurrected on Sunday. That's why we have church on Sunday. Because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. So every Sunday we get together to celebrate his resurrection. So what Paul is saying is on the first day of week on Sunday, he says, you should each. So who? Everyone. That everyone on the first day of week, what are they to do? Set aside a portion of money that you've earned. Gee, I wonder what Paul is referring to when he says a portion of money. He's thinking back to Deuteronomy. He's thinking back to Malachi. So then the question is, why doesn't he just say tithe? Well, because of the Judaizers. As soon as he puts the word tithe there, the Judaizers are going to show up with a flint knife and say, we're ready to circumcise those non-Jewish believers. Paul doesn't want that. In fact, if you read the book of Galatians, so I'll tell you, you know, some people, time they read the Bible, and they're like, you know what, the Bible's boring. Go read Galatians and, and see what Paul says to the Judaizers who show up with their flint knives. He says some really interesting things, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to make you find it yourself. But there's some fun stuff in the Bible. I hope you find it. But here's what I want to say. So what does it look like to give faithfully? 
first day of the week that each of us and, and obviously, different people are on different schedules in the way that they earn their resources. But what I'm going to say is that Jesus says, tithe, yes. And then Paul infers, we should give 10% of our resources to the Lord, that that's what faithful giving looks like. He doesn't say it here, but he infers it based on what he knows of Scripture. So as you look at the law and the prophets, as you look at Jesus, and as you look at Paul, the epistles, his writings, there's this principle that passes that says, as people who are of God, who follow the generosity of a God who gave of his son, and the son who gave of himself to the cross, we give too. So that's what faithful giving looks like. That followers of Jesus, they give selflessly by giving faithfully. The second thing we find is that followers of Jesus, they give selflessly by giving generously. Paul, he's writing the, the believers in Corinth in a second letter. So he writes to them in the first letter, encourages them to give for the collection of the saints in Jerusalem. Again, because the motivation for giving is because others are in need. And here's what he shares with them. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So the Macedonian believers, they gave beyond the typical 10%, the faithful giving. They gave more than they could afford. They gave generously. Why? For the privilege of helping others in need. Because the example that they had in Jesus, who gave of himself, if Jesus gave selflessly, then we should give selflessly too. Paul encourages the believers in Corinth to give generously as the Macedonian believers were giving generously. So here's what Paul continues as he writes that letter. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all that you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So again, Paul confirms, I'm not commanding you to give. I simply desire to inspire you to give. Because what happens as believers give generously, here's what Paul is leveraging. And this is the verse I want to anchor on this morning. Here's what Paul says. You will be, the Corinthian believers, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I love that verse. This is why we give. We give because our giving results in thankfulness for God in the hearts of others. We give our faithful giving, our generous giving. It results in people having a heart for God. Paul wants to advance the good news of Jesus. And so he encourages people to give. This is why we give. So I just thought I'd take a moment this morning to take a look at what has your giving done through Connection Point in the last year. So let's look at that. This past year, your generous giving has supplied food for almost 2,300 people in our local community through the food pantry. Isn't that awesome? 2,300 people served because of your generosity in giving. And it results in hearts of thanksgiving for those individuals. Your giving provided 35 families in our community with Thanksgiving baskets. Your generosity provided 25 families with car seats. Your giving is supporting 80 different cross-cultural workers or ministries in 30 different nations around the world. Today, we're behind 80 people. Connection Point Church is in 30 different countries of the world today because of your giving. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord for that. And I'll say too, your giving covers light bills. Lights are on this morning. 
because of faithful giving. Obviously, staff salaries, which are important because it results in people making decisions to follow Jesus, getting water baptized like we do on a Sunday morning, having their lives changed for eternity. This last year, 95 people made a decision to follow Jesus here. 95. Praise the Lord. So through our collective giving, we have brought 95 people to the party. So thanks for being a part of that. This is what we do. This is why we're here. 17 people water baptized this year saying, I want to follow Jesus in that example. 10 people baptized in the Holy Spirit. God's doing incredible things through Connection Point Church. And you get to be a part of that. And for every person on the other side of receiving these gifts, for every person on the other side of receiving your giving, Scripture tells us it results in them having a heart of thanksgiving. And I absolutely love that principle. That's why this is the verse. So if you look at your offering envelope, this is the verse that we use. Why? Because I love the verse and that it motivates us to say, why do we give? Because I want to see others with a heart of thanksgiving for God. It's what's on our gift boxes. So this is the verse that we leverage. As new covenant followers of Christ, we give because others are in need physically and spiritually. And the result of our giving is others gaining a greater love for God. So if you're a follower of Jesus who's not committed to giving selflessly, my hope is you see the value in giving and the positive effect it can have on your life, but also on the lives of others too. Others are affected by that, which will inspire and motivate you to begin to take next steps in giving in 2019. That's our hope this morning. That's why we talk about this message annually to say, hey, as we get into the next year, take next steps in giving. As followers of Jesus, we give selflessly. How? By giving faithfully and generously. And as we do that, then a love for God grows in the hearts of others. So followers of Jesus, they give selflessly. The last thing is, is by taking next steps in giving. Followers of Jesus give selflessly simply by taking next steps in giving. To take next steps in giving I just want to take a moment to explain some of what we're talking about is how do you take next steps. In your programs, there was a bookmark this morning. Some of those may have fallen out along the way. If you want one of those, you can raise your hand. Our floor host will help get you a bookmark. But feel free to take a look at that. I'm going to explain it on the slide that's on the screen. So these are five levels of giving. Because as I talk about this message, one of the things I know is it can be hard for someone to even understand the value of giving or how to, where do I start? Where do I begin? So you're probably somewhere on this scale. And the explanations are pretty simple. So a nunner is someone who doesn't give. Hopefully that doesn't require explanation. But that's a nunner. Next level up is someone who is an occasional giver. Typically that's somebody who the offering bucket goes by. They might drop something in so they occasionally give. A consistent giver is somebody who gives a, a consistent percentage of their income. So maybe 2% or 5%. And then we would say faithful givers. Let's just look at that giving principle across the law and the prophets, Jesus and our new covenants so are Pauline writings, the epistles, and see what it says. And so we use 10%. If God used that principle, then we can use that principle too. That those are faithful givers. And then the last one is those who give generously, that they give up over and above, that like those Macedonian believers, they take it to the next level and they give almost more than they can afford is what it would look like. And so at this, as we talk about these different levels, here's one of the things I know. Some of you, the reason that as we look at these different values and taking next steps to giving, you'd say, I just don't even know where to start. And that's, that's not uncommon. That's why almost every semester as a connect group, we offer Financial Peace University. And so I would encourage you, if that's you this morning, you say, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how to look at my finances in a way to be able to give selflessly. So sign up for the Financial Peace University connect group in the spring. It's a great way for you to start to learn how do you give. And why do we give? Because we want to become more like Jesus. It's a discipleship issue. It's a heart issue. 
And God wants to direct your heart to things of God. So I encourage you, as we look at this next year, take next steps in giving. It's important that we do. So what that looks like, taking next steps in giving. If you've been a nunner, say, I just haven't been somebody who's a giver, just become an occasional giver. As a bucket passes you by in 2019, drop something in periodically. Just take next steps in giving. And as you do that, you're going to see how God is faithful as you give. If you've been an occasional giver, become a consistent giver. Uh, One of the ways that you can do that is you can set up online just reoccurring giving. It's a real easy thing to do, connectionpointchurch.org slash give. I encourage you to do that and say, you know what? I'm going to try 2%. I'm going to try 5%. Why do we give? Because others are in need, and I want to be a part of the story of others being recipients. And then I would say, if you've been a consistent giver, take the next steps of becoming a faithful giver. And one of the things that we like to do and encourage people in faithful giving is on your offering envelopes, there's something called the 90-day challenge. And so what is the 90-day challenge? It's a challenge for you to become a faithful giver and for you to be able to test what Scripture has to say about those who faithfully give. So I want to talk about a couple of Scriptures that we can identify that that help us understand what a 90-day challenge is. So first, let's go back to Malachi. We looked at that verse already. So I'm going to, again, look at Old Covenant, Jesus, and then our, our New Covenant. So bring the full tithe into the storehouse, the Malachi writes, that there may be food in my house, the Lord is, is telling the Israelites, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. So that's what we find is we can test the Lord. But now I will say, as we look at that scripture, that promise was for a particular people at a particular time. So we don't leverage the promise. We just look at the principle. So what's the principle here? The principle is, is as we are faithful, God is faithful. And how do I know that 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 holds up to be true because we see it with Jesus and we see it with Paul too. So let's look at those scriptures too. Here's what we find in Luke 6:38. Jesus talking here. He says, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus has that same Malachi principle. As you give, the Lord is faithful to take care of us. Really what this is, is it's a matter of trusting the Lord. It's a reflection of our heart. But now again, knowing this statement that Jesus makes happens before the cross, let's look after the cross. So here's what Paul shares in 2 Corinthians. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Over and over, the principle is this. God is faithful. And this principle crosses covenants. The question is, do we trust God? I'll tell you, it is great to love God, but it's amazing to actually trust him. And that's the next step. You can love God, but do you trust him? It's an amazing thing to trust God with your life, to trust God with your resources. As you faithfully give, God is faithful to provide. We don't give to get. We never leverage that. We give because other people are in need. But as we give, God is faithful to provide. So I just encourage you, if you're a consistent giver, moving to the place of becoming a faithful giver, Just do the 90-day challenge. You can start giving next week or the following week. And as you give in that line, our bookkeeper simply puts those funds in a different account. And you really have to test the Lord in this principle. So you need to be new to this. You need to do it for a solid three months. And you need to commit 10%. And as you do that, I want you to see how God is faithful in return. I don't know one individual who doesn't test that principle and see that God in turn is faithful. He's just faithful. God is faithful. And the question is, can we trust him to be faithful? So I encourage you, sign up for the 90-day challenge. You can do that just by giving in the offering envelope, or you can do that online as well. And then I'll say this. Maybe you're already a faithful giver. Wonderful. And if you're a faithful giver, I encourage you, like Paul, with the believers in Corinth, 
to move up to the ladder to the place of giving generously. Something important to note is that faithful giving is actually the floor of New Testament giving. It's not the ceiling. You see, it was the ceiling in the Old Testament, but again, Jesus says, here's what you know, but here's what I would say. That same principle applies to giving as well. So New Testament giving, faithful giving is the floor. Generous giving is where we go. So the challenge is, can we give generously? The Macedonian believers who gave beyond what they could afford, they gave beyond their means, the ESV says. And so Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers who are already faithful givers, could you become generous givers like these believers? And the way someone becomes a generous giver, the way someone goes beyond their means or gives beyond their means is because of what the Bible says about faithful giving. That as you're faithful to give, as God almost tests us, can we be trusted with resources for the sake of growing his kingdom? As we are faithful, God is faithful, and that allows us to generously give. That's the way it works. Can you be trusted with resources that are meant to result in hearts of thanksgiving for others? That's what we're doing. As you become faithful in giving, God who supplied seed to the sower, here's what the scripture says, multiplies the seed for sowing so that you can give generously. That's how it works. Last year, as we were talking about these principles of taking uh, next steps of giving, we also launched Kingdom Builders, which is our definition of giving generously. To say, you've been a faithful giver, but could we be generous givers? And watch to see what God does with that. One of the members of our church, he said that he'd like to donate a nice car to give generously, you know, more than he can afford. And so if you weren't here last April to hear that testimony, I'd like us to hear that testimony this morning. Can we play that? Well, this is a 1938 Pontiac Coupe. And when I built it back in uh, probably 93 to 96, uh, I just, it was a lifelong dream of mine. And, and uh, I wanted to do some things in the hot rodding industry that nobody's done and uh, the type of motor and uh, everything about it. And uh, hopefully I achieved that and uh, it's something that Sandy and I, we truly love to do in the summertime together is go to car shows and just drive around in hot rod. And, uh, you know, had a lot of fun with it. The very first show I showed it into was Oklahoma City. And there was 13,000, the best hot rods in all of the United States from coast to coast, from north to south. And, they picked my best to show in that. It was a great honor. It was a great honor. And I've been, I've been down Tennessee, Minnesota, out in the Rocky Mountains with it. We, I drove it to, I built it to drive. And uh, we have. Since day one, I've won probably about five national shows and a lot of uh, just hometown shows. I've, it's never been in a car show that's not got best of show. I've been in eight magazines with it, uh, Hot Rod Magazine, that was a really big deal. They did a feature on me when I was building it. And to get into Hot Rod Magazine, that's like the, it's kind of like the holy grail of Bible of the hot rod industry, but uh, 
you know, it's been in a lot of magazines. I've won a lot of car shows, and I've had quite a few people to offer to buy it. And uh, well, when I first heard the message, I didn't know anything about the Kingdom Builders. Uh, I sat in in the sanctuary and listened to you, Pastor Zach, uh, tell about Kingdom Builders. And uh, you know, at the end of the service. I don't know how this happened, but something just hit me over the head and said, Steve, sell your car. Give it to the Kingdom Builders. And I thought my hearing was going bad. And, you know, I talked to you, Pastor Zach, about that. And uh, I said I could, didn't understand it. And uh, so I let it ride for three or four weeks, maybe close to a month, and, and it wouldn't go away. And uh, so I m made up my mind to sell it and give the proceeds to the Kingdom Builders. And after I made that commitment, another month went by. And then I got stubborn, and I said, no, nope, I'm not selling this car. It's, it's, I, I can't do that. Lord, I, I can't do that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I give enough money, and, and I'm saying this about myself, and I, I said I couldn't do that. So anyways, I, I fast forward one more month. This is during the winter months. and. One more month, uh, I walk out in my shop every day. That's where I park my truck also, and I park this uh, 38 coupe there. And I opened the door up, and it just, it just like a sledgehammer, knocked me over. It said, Steve, give this to the Kingdom Builders. And I kept denying it for about three weeks, and it, it Every time I'd walk in my shop, it would not go away. Did I ever think that I'd sell my coupe? Not, not a, no. But you know what? If this can bring one, two, twelve, whatever, people to the Lord, I'm good with it. When I told Sandy the very first time that you, Pastor Zach, gave you a sermon on the Kingdom Builders when I first talked to you about, about giving it to the Kingdom Builders. I'm driving home and Sandy didn't go to church that day. She, she didn't feel good or anyways. When I got home, I told her about it and I'm thinking she's gonna chew me out. And she looked at me and she had tears coming down her eyes. And she said, man, I'm proud of you, Steve. So, you know, and it's not being sold to get any glory for anything. We've had our glory with this car, I guarantee you. We've had fun with it. I think my heart has really changed since I had an accident, a really, really bad accident about a year and a half ago. And I, we've spoken a little bit on this and I shouldn't be here and the guy I hit shouldn't be here. You know, when you, uh, 
total a 60,000 pound dump truck and run over a compact car like that one over there. He should never be alive. Jesus spared him and, and I got 50 some stitches in my head and messed up, but you know, I bounced right back and I was back doing something two weeks after that. But I sat on the couch here for the first two days. I pretty well couldn't move. And, and your mind thinks, your mind thinks everything, you know, and, and that's what your mind's for, to use it to think. And I said, Lord, you know, I know that you're not done with Steve Ryder. I'd be dead. So whatever you want the rest of my life, you just tell me and it'll be done. And maybe this is what he told me. So would you like to hear how that story ends? Let me, let me try that again. Would you like to hear how the story ends? Yes. I would hope so. <laughs> Two Wednesdays ago, Steve was in Menards, and a friend of his, Bill, uh, saw Steve up ahead, so he was trying to walk to catch up with Steve, but Steve's a fast walker, so he knew he was not going to catch him. So he just decided to wait at the front registers for Steve, and when Steve came up, Steve's like, Bill, good to see you. And they start talking, and, and Bill happens to be in charge of the hot rodding events for the greater Lafayette area. So Steve starts telling him, I'm selling my hot rod. You know, is there any way that you could help me sell it? And then he starts telling about kingdom builders and why he's going to sell it. And as Bill is listening, he's moved and says, Steve, I want to buy your hot rod. And Steve says, well, I don't want you to buy it. I just want you to help me sell it. And Bill says, no, no, no. I want to be a part of this story. I'm buying your hot rod. Like that was the end of it. <laughs> And so he came in a couple of days later, and, and so they did the, the exchange here of, of him selling that hot rod, but then we got to walk Bill around to see the wall of the unreached, that we're sending people to places where Jesus isn't known. Got to show him the basketball hoops and check-in stations and ways we're going to invest in the kids' spaces. And I just, it's a, such a wonderful story of the scripture that's on the back of your bookmark that says, our giving results in hearts of thanksgiving for others. Bill was so thankful to be a part of that story. And what I love about that gift is as we invest that in kids' spaces, what does that gift do? It results in hearts of thanksgiving for our kids' workers as we resource them. It results in hearts of thanksgiving for the countless kids that come in these doors and are going to continue coming. Isn't that amazing how that principle, so scripture is true. As we give, what does it do? It results in hearts of thanksgiving for others. And why do we give? Because others are in need, physically and spiritually. So followers of Jesus, how do we give selflessly? We give selflessly by giving faithfully and giving generously. So my encouragement for you as we head into the next year is simply take next steps in giving. You don't have to take huge steps unless the Lord leads you that way, but take next steps, whatever that looks like for you. So in your programs this morning was that bookmark. And what I'd love to encourage you in is for you simply to take next steps, to say, you know what, if I locate myself on this ladder, I've been a nunner, but this next year, I'm going to circle. Take a pen from your seat back, circle. I'm going to be an occasional giver. Make a commitment this morning to say, this is what I want to do. And it's a commitment between you and God and stick it in your Bible as a reminder that as you head into the next year, you say, I want to take next steps in giving. Why? Because I know as I give, it affects my heart, but it affects other people's hearts as well. Take next steps. As I was thinking about this message, I thought, you know, there, there's three responses that people can have. Number one, you could just take me up on it. Take next steps wherever you're at. Go to the next level of giving. The second response is, you know what? I just, I don't even know where to start. So you can sign up for the Connect Group, Financial Peace University in the spring. 
and figure out how is it that I can learn to give selflessly. But the third response is to say, you know what? Just be a bit hard-hearted. It it doesn't really matter. I don't know that this really is going to make a difference in my life or the life of others. But here's what Jesus tells us in Matthew, the last verse I'll share with you this morning. He says that where your treasure is, there your heart is too. Again, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And what he knows is, is where you direct the resources he's given you determines the matter of your heart. That the goal isn't giving, the goal is becoming like Jesus. And so we want you to become like Jesus too. We want you to walk all the way through that belonging, believing, and becoming like him so you can bring others in the same. So wherever you find yourself this morning, may your response be the first two. I'm going to take next steps, or I'm going to sign up to figure out how do I give through Financial Peace University. May your response not be, I'm just, I'm not going to take this to heart today. May you take it to heart. We want you to be able to grow and become more like Jesus. That's our heart for you today. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I want to, I want to ask, maybe you're here today. And you're here, and you could be a recipient of the giving that others have done to keep lights on this morning for us to be here today, for you to be able to become a follower of Jesus, that you might have a heart of thanksgiving. So maybe you're here and you'd say, you know what? I haven't felt compelled to give because I haven't really turned my heart over to God. So if that's you this morning, with every head bowed in this room, if you'd say, I'm here, I'd love to have a heart of thanksgiving for God as in a response that God sent his son this Christmas season, may you in turn say, I want to respond to that, that gift, the greatest gift the world has ever seen. So if that's you today, you'd say, I want to follow Jesus. Simply raise your hand. I want to pray with you before we leave today. Anybody would say, that's me. I want to follow God today. I want to be reconnected with my creator. I want to have that heart of thanksgiving that you're talking about. I want to find satisfaction in life, which is only found in Jesus. Anybody today that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. Over here in the back, anybody else that would say, that's me. I need that heart after God over on the left. Anybody else that would say, that's me today. I want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus, we just thank you for those that responded with hearts of thanksgiving today. God, we just thank you for those that have been faithful in their giving that has made that possible this morning. And so God, we celebrate these lives that have said, I want to dedicate my life to you. I want to respond to you, God, who sent your son, Jesus, that I might live. Holy Spirit, we thank you for their working in their lives. And so God, we just pray right now in this moment that they would have a heart to follow you from this day on into eternity. And Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us to have a heart of of generosity, of selflessness, Lord, that we might live well in your kingdom and manage our resources the way that you've laid out. I just pray, Jesus, that you would inspire us all to be able to change our hearts and change the hearts of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come, our youth pastor, and some of the prayer team members, if you don't mind to come. So we had a couple of people raise their hands. And if you didn't raise your hand this morning, what we'd love for you to do is simply to meet with one of our prayer team members. We want to give you your first gift of Christmas this season, which is a Bible, to say, hey, here's information on where you go from here. But can we celebrate this morning for the hearts of Thanksgiving today? Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. You're a part of that story today. What an awesome thing. Let's close in song. So may you have a heart like Bill when he saw Steve and said, I want to be a part of that story too. 
may you respond to giving with a heart to say, I want to be a part of the story of those people that just walked out of that room this morning. You're meant to be part of that story. You're meant to be part of the story of kids who get to hear about Jesus week in and week out. You're meant to be part of the story of Iraqis coming to faith in Jesus because our church sent a couple there. You're meant to be part of that story. How do you do that? Take next steps in giving. So just make it simple for yourself to say, you know what, this is where I've been, this is where I'm headed for 2019. And as you do that, watch to see how God is faithful as you are faithful. He is, and he's generous as we are generous. God does those things, why? Because he wants to work through you for the sake of others receiving a heart of thanksgiving for himself. That's what he wants to do. We're invited to be a part of that story. So may you be a part of that story. That your giving changes your heart and it changes the heart of others. And as you leave from this place today, may the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you, show you his mercy, and fill you with his peace. Amen. Go with God today.